0: It's really cool to just have people in their 20s in general on this platform to, you know, talk about real life shit that people who are 20 years, years old, you know, have to deal with.
1: Yes, yes, everybody. Welcome back to another weekly edition of ISD and School Detention. Uh, Pierce is normally with me, not today. Um, he is on a trip to New York uh, doing some model shoots. So, all props to him, man. I'm proud of him the way his career is expanding. But regardless, I wanted to have this guest on one-on-one. I want to be selfish because I'll be honest with you guys. Uh, this gentleman, um, first thing that really attracted me to him was the fact that he's on Twitter. He interacts with everybody, no matter who you are, no matter what you say. He's going to try to Well, it doesn't matter what you say because, you know, you can't respond to everything. <laughs> but I just it, it gave off a good vibe to where I feel like I could reach out. So I shot some tweets, I asked his opinions, and, of course, this man answered back. So, um Without much further ado, I do want to introduce you guys to Pierre Andreessen, aka, I don't want to say this wrong, Pee Wee the Plug Ho, yes aka uh, Big Guy Stacks Porzingis. I don't want to fuck your YouTube name up. I'm sorry, bro. I'm sure you worked hard on nicknames.
0: No, you good. Big Stax Porzingis, <coughs> Pee Wee the Plug. And forget those, though. You said the most important thing, right, which is my government name, Pierre Andreessen. A lot of people mess my name up and say Anderson. But yeah, mm. Andreessen. So I appreciate that more than anything. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate uh, the love. And I'm, I'm excited to talk about whatever it is we're going to talk about.
1: Yes, me too, bro. I am too. We could talk about anything under the sun. I'll be honest with you. It's, it's, it's overrange. Before we even press record, before we press record, we're having a conversation that has I <laughs> yes. was completely just, uh, it was a big conversation. though. The conversation was just about seeing both sides of the coin. You were talking to me about being from the correct, the west side of Chicago correct yeah, yeah, talk to me about what that was like.
0: um you know during it it, it wasn't it wasn't anything it was just living because when you're in it, you don't really you don't really see the things that you see when you are removed from it like especially as a kid, when you're growing up in a certain environment, you don't realize what's going on because it's all you know it's it, literally all you know. <laughs> So until you escape that or leave it temporarily, you don't have anything to compare it to. So um, growing up, it wasn't nothing bad to me. It was just it was the way life was. I didn't know what the suburbs was. I didn't know what certain things was. So my environment was all I knew. The hood was all I, knew. I didn't even know it was the hood. It was just it was just where we live. And then um, as years go by and fortunately enough, my mom was able to remove me out of that environment um, early enough. Uh, I was able to then hindsight look back and compare you know w- where we went to after the hood to the hood and say okay so that wasn't normal or that it that it's more to life than that but I'm still appreciative of being from that because it definitely molded me into who I am um, as a person because I do have the ability and the uh, you know the the what's the word the uh the, the the luxury of, of mm. being able to see all sides of the, the, the fence or both sides of the fence.
1: Which side of the fence has taught you more? The side you're on now or the side you grew up from? Uh, I think it's equal
0: because without uh, where I c- came from, I wouldn't have a, a certain appreciation of the opportunities I have now because there's a lot right. of people that from that area or from, you know, still in that area who never got a chance to see the other side. So they were, they were then stuck. And what you see is um, mug shots, obituaries and things like that, which um, we know is, is something that, that's real and, and it's serious. So I would say both. Um, obviously, that portion of my life early on is going to be a lot smaller the more and more um, I continue to, to grow because uh, I'm just getting started and what I'm doing now but the more and more I solidify myself and continue to, to uh, do what I'm doing, it'll be unbalanced. So, you know, the second half or, you know, uh, post poverty or whatever would definitely have a bigger impact in the future. But as of right now, it's still a 50 50 balance for me.
1: Do you have a hard time sometimes leaving? Because, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not from any of that at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, the West Side I grew up in a very nice area I lived in the same house that I've been in since I was five And so I just moved out like last month So please correct me if I'm wrong But as a lot of us know, growing up on the West Side is tough for the West Side of Chicago Do you yeah. stick um, The lessons that you've learned And sometimes you have to adapt certain mannerisms Certain things that you do when you're from that To be able to survive Do you cross those over to your current path now Or do you have you Have to leave that behind Because there's a time and place for everything
0: no, it's definitely a time and place for everything, but um, I am who I am. Uh, that's just mm. that's just the uh, basis of it, and what I've learned by being who I am and, and fully accepting and embracing who I am, um, I've learned that others will embrace it too. It's all it's all about how you embrace it. There is no there's no code or no guide on who to be or how to be you. You just have to be it, and and people respect more than anything uh, authentic, like you being your authentic self so you know people will put it out there to make you feel like you have to conform to whatever it is you're trying to do or you're trying to reach but you don't have to conform being you is the best thing you can offer to whatever it is you're trying to give yourself to whether it's a, a fortune 500 company whether you're trying to build a fan base uh brick by brick whether you are trying to be in a relationship with a, a, a young woman Whoever, whoever you're trying to give yourself to or whatever you're trying to give yourself to, if you're authentic, it, it will get no better than that. People will will, um, will will be happy to accept you and they'll embrace you for who you are because that's the only thing they can do. But when you go into somewhere and you conform and you're being somebody that you're not, they're going to prefer that. You know what I mean? They're going to prefer that at first, but then after a while, once they realize it really isn't you – they're going to be turned off. Just like if we go into a building right now, me and you, um, uh, and we're trying to get jobs and you're in there acting like somebody that you're totally not. At first, they might like it because they, they don't know any better. But after a while, once they realize it's not you, I mean, we, we're probably not going to get those jobs. Vice versa. When you go to the hood right now and you go and you try to act hood and that's not you, they, they, after a while, once they realize it's not you, you're going to look kind of corny. But if you go to the hood and you just being you, you just being you just being yourself nobody nobody's gonna mind you, you're gonna get embraced because they're gonna respect that you just being you. you you can't not respect somebody just being them true selves. that's 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 the realest thing you can do you know what i mean that's the realest thing you can do is just be yourself
1: how how did you what things have ha- if, if you can speak on it but like what things or what things have taken action in your life to make you come to that realization that being you is the best is the best thing for oneself.
0: Um, first and foremost, just the people I'm surrounded by. I think I have two very intelligent, um, and, and prideful parents and to start with them and prideful in a good way. Cause pride isn't always a good thing, but, but prideful in a good way of just, you know, um, just, just like I said, just being who you are. They've always, you know, encouraged me to just be exactly who I want to be. Um, and then early on in my life, moving from the hood to the suburbs was big for me too then. Because you got to understand, I'm coming, from, I'm coming from a certain place and I'm going to a new place that I've never, ever seen. And I'm around for the first time in my life, predominantly white people. So automatically as a kid, you're trying to change and adapt. And that was a big life lesson for me then, early on, because I was trying to adapt to my to my new circumstance and my new way of life, and I didn't fit in. But once I became me, and I was just like, you know what, I'm just whatever, I'm just being me. I was a, I was more accepted, and they 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 you know took took heed to that because now I was something that was different from them, and that's that's the that's the 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 beauty of it. Underneath all of it, is like. You go, on, you go you go somewhere and you're trying to conform or adjust or be a part of what they're doing. And that's boring to them because everybody else is like that. And you, you're you doing it thinking you're going to fit in better. But by being your unique self, which is going to stand out, it's something new and refreshing to whatever situation you're going into. So they're going to gravitate towards that quicker than something that, that they have already seen. If I, drive, if I bring you a, a pair of Air Force Ones, just all white, they'll be cool. But if I bring you something with some color in it, something different, you're probably going to gravitate to the thing that's different because you've already seen the, the white Air Force One already. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it's just a simple, basic shoe. But if I bring you something with color, flair, something you've never seen before, you're probably going to gravitate to that more. And, and that was an early lesson that I learned from just moving, just moving from the hood to the suburbs and, and just that change of life, the pace, the people, predominantly white people, the way that they speak. Um, you know, the way things look, it, it, it's all, was different.
1: What, uh, what suburban neighborhood did you move to?
0: I moved to, what was the first, I moved to the Grange park. So that was the first place I lived besides the hood. Yeah. The Grange park. Um, and then from the Grange, I moved to Woodridge, um, then Woodridge to Bolingbrook, and then Bolingbrook to Willowbrook. And then, um, Throughout the course of my life, my dad has always lived in the Old Park area. Mm-hmm. My mom, my, pa- my my parents not together, but they raised me together. So you know mm-hmm. that, old, that's important.
1: That is so yeah, important. That's important. powerful. Oh man.
0: So yeah. So especially the like, life
1: of a black man. That's great. That's yes.
0: Yeah. So you know, I moved to all of those different areas, but then within living in those areas, I've always was you know a part of like Old Park because my dad lived there. So when I would go with my dad for the summer. Or for those little weeks in spring break, or like you know, a few days out of Christmas break, or every other weekend type thing, it would be in the old park area. So
1: mm. now, to what you're saying about fitting in, it's interesting you bring that up because as I'm older now, I'm starting to find myself my sense of identity. I was someone we grew up differently, you know. Like I said, I'm not I'm not from the hood whatsoever. From a very nice suburban place, mm-hmm. uh, it was di- it was diverse. I've been in the same house since I was five until I moved out about a month ago. But
0: and I love you know, that. I love that. Not to cut you off, but I, I love mm-hmm. that the same house type thing. Like stability is big. It, you know, it's a pro and con in everything. But I love hearing you say that.
1: Yeah, thank you. I, and you know what? I'm super blessed because in my current job where I work at, I see a lot of different people of all walks of life come in. I can't say what exactly I do on air because that would conflict with my actual nine to five, and I got bills to pay.
0: Right. So,
1: <laughs> But at the like, I see all different walks of kinds of people come in. Met guys my age. I I met someone the other day, and uh, I don't know her full story, but she's she was twenty two years old, younger than me, but she's on her fourth kid. And then I look at myself like I turned twenty four in August, and I have no kids, and I just moved out of my house. It goes to show you that everyone runs different paths and things in different like races in life, but. It's interesting to see it come together because I've had stability. Both my parents were together my have together my entire life. And as I'm older and I'm used to living the way that I'm living, so I'm just like, oh, this is good. Ain't nothing wrong with this. As I'm out here in this world, because I, I call this job like college. And because it's the most exposure I've ever had to the world because it literally brings the world in one place. It don't make sense because I tell you, but like... I go there and everything I know about myself, everything I think is right, is just like damn near thrown in the fucking garbage. All of it's just like shook up, it shook my whole world up working at this job I work at. Because I see people older who grew up in the hood, I see people who have not made the best choices in life, I see people who didn't have a choice but to make bad choices in life. And it, it gives you kind of both sides and it's humbling and it makes you appreciate what you have. but hearing you telling me your story about how, you know, you're from the West side of Chicago. I know other people from the West side of Chicago. You have put yourself in a position to succeed. So I want to ask the question, is it about the environment or is it the person? Because there are also, I'm sure you know, like you said, some people who are from where you're from, who are in a position that you're in. So do you think it's more environment or the choices of the person that can determine whether they they succeed in life?
0: Um, I, I won't I don't want to do the whole. It's both because obviously it is. So I'm trying to really, you know what? More more than any of those two, either of those two, I think <clears throat> the people around you. So I like. <clears throat> I credit my parents a lot. That's why I brought them up when I was speaking on it earlier because, like, my mom made that conscious effort, you know, to make sure that I I was removed out of that situation at a young age, like young enough to where. You know, she. I think she moved me at a time right before it could it could change me. You know what I mean. What I, age, were you? Ah, uh, how old was I? I wasn't ten yet. I was de- It was definitely like pfft, I wasn't even double digits. But I was starting to be. I was starting to get old enough to be aware of what was going on. Um. So I would probably say maybe like seven. You know, I because when I moved, yeah, when I moved. Wait, I take. When I moved, I was in kindergarten. But the, but when I was fully out of the hood, I was probably in like first or second grade, so that age. Uh, because when we moved, we see, I grew up with um, my family. Like, it was a family home. So it was my grandpa, me and my mom, uh, my uncle, both of my uncles, and then my aunt lived with us. We had one of those family houses in um, the west side of Chicago. And I grew up like that. But then, at, like I was saying... At one of those early ages, uh, like maybe six, my mom moved me. Me and her moved into the suburbs, but they still lived in the hood. So I would still be over there all the time and go visit my grandpa and be with my uncles and That We would still be over there. So I wasn't fully out of the hood um, until probably like, yeah, second grade. And it's still young, but I think that's where a lot of that stuff starts. The earlier you can get out of there... And unless the they can see, because kids at a young age understand, you know, that's one thing I think people take for granted or they don't really under, understand is that kids they 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 see things, they pick up on things, they're aware of what's going on. Uh, I think probably at four or five they start to pick up things, and and you and people will be surprised on what they can understand and what they're seeing. But yeah, I, I, I say my parents, my mom was made the conscious effort to re- remove you know, not only me but herself out of that, that situation and then start the trend. And so it was like a domino effect. Once my mom left, she's she was the the, the older sister, um, and, and went to the suburbs and and made that risk, it, it encouraged everybody else to do it. And then my aunt was next, and then my uncles slowly started to move and everything like that. And then especially after my grandfather passed, um everybody just migrated to the suburbs. So um that was big, and then, like I said, my dad he lived in Old Park, which is city suburban type mix. Um, but it's definitely a place to be, it's not it's not anything like West Side of Chicago, but it's still right by the West Side of Chicago. So you get that mix of both. So you know, I, I credit my parents because I think a lot of kids or a lot of people I grew up with they they didn't have the opportunity I had because their parents wasn't making a conscious effort to to remove them out of the situation. So. At that at that point, I don't I don't think you can say it's the person because they're just doing what they, they know to do. They're just living life. They can't control their parents not moving or not trying to get them out of that situation. They just you know they have to live, and that, and that's just what happens.
1: Yeah, that's while that's a really good point. You know, at the same time, it's as much as it is the environment. It's and that, and that's why it's it's, it's a tough question. Because they're only doing, what, like, the person's making the decisions, but the person only can get the decisions from the environment that they're in. Exactly. So, and even though I asked you that question, it was tough. Um, you did a good job. But that was a tough question because it's almost like there's no right answer.
0: Yeah, it's, it's really not. Because, I mean, we could sit up here all day and be like, man, he foolish for, for doing that. like. Why would he do that? Why would he join a game? There's nothing to come. But, uh, but at the same time, I think what a lot of people fail to realize is, you know, being a product of your environment is big you know, and not even in a hood sense. Like we can look at an NBA team, right? And if the NBA team or that organization has a type of environment where we're, we're getting better as basketball players, you'll see guys thrive in, in a certain situation opposed to another organization who, you know, their environment isn't to get better. You know, there's certain franchises in the NBA or even in sports in general who just have this this like the the Cleveland Browns. And I know they're winning this year, but like over the, for the majority of my life, they've been looked at as a disastrous organization. They've always sucked. They've never been good. And I've, I'm 25 and for probably 97 percent to 98 percent of my life, they've been trashed. They've been trashed. And it's the environment that's there to not allow all of their players to fully develop and be the best that they can be versus other teams that you may look at and they have a history of getting the best out of their players. It's because of the environment. It the environment to things are just is, is crucial work environments like your job. I don't know what it is. Like it's your job, but if, if, if you enjoy your job, it's probably because of the environment uh, you can have a mm. dream job, but if the environment isn't right that dream job is a disaster. Right. And it's just like, Growing up, like we can, we can, yeah, we can say that, hey man, he was dumb for robbing that bank or for shooting somebody or for joining a gang, but that's literally all that they know. They don't, they literally, there's people I know that never left the hood. They don't know anything but the hood. As crazy as that may sound, they know nothing but the hood.
1: And you know what, to me, and it, it makes sense, but every time I hear it, it, it still boggles my mind because, again, the way I grew up, and I, and I don't want to judge anybody because things happen for a reason and who am I to judge because I'm no better than the next person. You know what I'm saying? No, without a doubt. And I, I look at certain decisions, like, for example, someone decides to rob a bank or someone tries to, you know, do something like that. I look at, like, yo, like, why doesn't he know there's other options? And, that, and that's me looking from the outside in and growing up where I grow up. Let, let's take the scenario of robbing a bank, for example. Let's say uh, his name, we'll call him Carl. Say Carl robs a bank and I'm sitting there. And I'm just like, Carl, why would you try to rob that bank? Because from the outside looking in, I see, yo, you can get a job, get a nine to five, there's the unemployment office, you could go to school, you could pick up a trade, you could do whatever. But all Carl saw, was just to go pick up that gun and go hold up a bank. And now Carl's doing X amount of years in prison or Carl is dead. Or say Carl had kids, now no one's raising those kids. Like I, I, for the longest time, And still sometimes Forget to see the other side Because
0: It's it's, it's easy too It's easy to to not see it
1: Because like It'll be a reaction Like it'll be just like Why would he do that? That makes no sense But then you gotta Understand everything behind it You talked about environment And I want to get into basketball later But this conversation Is flowing wherever So I'm cool with it A perfect team The team that's in the NBA finals Miami When they talk about the heat They talk about the Culture Of the heat Mm-hmm. A perfect example would be, even though he's not on the Heat anymore, but it's Dion Waiters. When Deion Waiters was on the Heat, that man was a bucket. Yep. Pure, pure bucket. But uh, what team was he on before that? Cleveland. He was on Cleveland. Nothing was. No, it was Cleveland then OKC. Yep. Cleveland. He he was okay. He was still behind Kyrie, and then Bron got there, and then and there was that whole debacle. He went to OKC with KD and Russ, and that was good. But then he went to Miami, lost a bunch of weight. Spolstra gave him the ball, and he went absolutely nuts. Like, real talk, and please correct me if I'm wrong, for like a good two weeks, he was damn near the best two-guard in the league. Like, Deion Waiters was balling out crazy when he first got to Miami.
0: No, yeah, he had, and, a, he had that stretch, for sure.
1: Yeah, and so that goes into talking. We talk about environment and where you fit in, fitting in and being yourself. Jimmy Butler, he was in Minnesota. That shit didn't work out. He was in Philly, and that shit didn't work out. Everybody pegged him as the villain. Jimmy's a bad teammate. Jimmy's hard to work with, yada, yada, yada. But both those teams, well, Philly was still trying to develop a winning culture, and they still are, in my opinion, because, you know. But you go to Miami, which is a winning culture, he's thriving. And now everybody else looks crazy. Yeah.
0: So, I, um, I, I credit Jimmy Butler to being one of the, you know, people try to label Jimmy Butler as a superstar. I, I don't think Jimmy Butler is a superstar player, but what I do say about Jimmy Butler is that he's, one of the most intelligent players because what he did was exactly what you were just saying. He, he figured out his identity, who he is, just like we talked mm. about early in this conversation and just in the world. And that's why basketball is one of the most beautiful sports and why sports are so beautiful is because it lines up. It's a parallel with life, but he found his identity as a basketball player and he did his homework on where he would fit. What environment can I go to and thrive and, and be me? And even if it isn't going – like, even if the, the Heat wasn't in the finals, Jimmy Butler would be cool and would be happy because of the environment. See, the thing about the other teams is when he lost, not only am I losing, but I'm not even enjoying the environment. So, like, the mm-hmm. teams, nobody expected the Timberwolves, including Jimmy Butler, to be a championship contender. But they expected – but what he expected was, okay, Even while we're working to get to that, that contender or to be uh, elite, we're going to work or it's going to be a certain type of environment, but he couldn't withstand the storm because like I said, even when, even when I'm losing, I mean, even when I'm winning, it's not, I'm not having fun with it because it's just not the environment. So it's like, if I'm not going to be winning and I'm not going to be happy with the environment, what the hell am I here for? There's no, Mm -hmm. need to be here for, but even like I said, Miami, they're probably going to lose this series and he's still going to be fine with that because, Hey, we lost our way and we lost in a way where I'm, I was still happy. Uh, everything that I asked for, we did, and we just came up short, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if we're coming up short, and but we're not doing it the way that I wanna do it, and it's not the environment that I'm used to or feel comfortable in, and I feel like people ain't working as hard as me, and we not holding each other accountable, then yeah, why am I here? And I think Jimmy Butler's mistake was, well, it wasn't even a mistake. He was traded. But, yeah, I think he just had unfortunate situations where he was traded to teams that didn't do things the way he's used to. And as a leader, he tried to go in there and force it when leadership is, is something that, that happens over time. Like, you can't change the culture of a team so quickly, especially when you have uh, guys who are already solidified. Like, Joel and Ben runs Philly. Jimmy can't come in and call the shots there because they already run that team. Minnesota cat runs that they're going to cater to cat before they cater to Jimmy Butler. That's why I say Jimmy Butler is smart because he found a team that didn't have a card in town or Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons that he could go to and lead. And and they they would cater to him because they have good players. Bam is up and coming. Tyler Hero is up and coming, but those guys are not at the level of, Carlton Carl Towns, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid—those guys are future superstars already. We're building around them. Miami wasn't building around Bam and Tyler Hero yet. Now with Jimmy there, they've they've elevated their games, and now we're looking at them as like they're building they're building blocks for the future. But Jimmy, Jimmy, you know, got there before that they can even solidify themselves, and now he's able to have that leadership role that he's always been searching for.
1: Yes, and. It's really good to see that because I think people when I was talking to actually my girl about this a few weeks ago no this is when the bubble first 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 came back I was just explaining to her how important our sports are to the world not only just you know entertainment and revenue and whop the bam just overall to human society as people all across the world sports has saved the lives of a lot of people sports has given people jobs sports has done a lot so the biggest thing I like about the Miami Heat, as much as that they play hard and that they win, is that they have culture and integrity. Pat Riley not folding for shit. Jimmy Butler not folding for shit. they are two people that don't settle. Would you agree?
0: Uh, yeah, I would agree. Uh, especially with uh, Pat Riley. I think he, he set the standard for the Miami Heat uh, way further than anybody can even imagine. Uh, like what you mentioned earlier with Deion Wade is, is one of the things that I love. Like body fat percentage has to be a certain way. Like shit like that is is it's crazy to me. Like mm-hmm. that. Like they're running their shit like a college basketball team because it, it, which is hard to do. I think that's another thing we can't just. We have to remember that this is the NBA. You get you're paying million. This, these are grown men who are millionaires who usually call the shots. So I I, I admire pat riley a little bit more than jimmy butler in this situation even though they, you're right they both aren't guys who are going to settle but what pat riley is doing is 10 times harder because you're 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 making guys who don't necessarily have to buy in buy in which is the hardest thing to do in the nba because like i said these are grown men number one who are multi-millionaires like college those kids don't have a choice they have to listen to john Calipari. he runs mm-hmm. a player can't not do what John Calipari, Calipari tells them what to do because they're not going to play, and then they won't be able to get to the NBA. But once you're already in the NBA and the team is already paying you a salary, you kind of call the shots. So that's why you see a lot of players can get coaches fired or they'll get whatever they want because they I hate them. that shit
1: too. By the way, I hate that yeah. shit. I I hate. I think that shit is lame. I hate. I hate how coaches get lame for everything. I don't think Doc
0: should got let go. No, without a doubt. But that's just the reality of it because the, the players run the league. If if the, if the if a franchise has to choose between a player and a coach, the majority of the times they're running with the player. The player is making $100 million. We ain't seen no coach yet make $100 million. We ain't seen no coach yet have a $30 million salary. You know what I mean? Like So nine times out of 10, they got to roll with it. And because of what you said, revenue and all of that, players bring that in. So sometimes a franchise may not even want to fire the coach, but they have to because – the, the player is the one selling the jerseys, putting the players in the seats. I mean, putting the fans in the seats, and or who the player, the, the fans are coming to watch. So yeah, the Clippers. I, I can't. We can't get rid of Kawhi or Paul George and keep Doc because Kawhi and Paul George are the ones on the billboards. That's what gives us the star power to put people in the seats, not Doc Rivers. So we have to cater to these two dudes. So it could be a tricky game, and that's why me personally, uh, if I am ever involved. In coaching down the line is something. It's something I would want to get into. It would be at the college level. If I do anything in the NBA, it would be a front office, GM, and uh, you know stuff like that, scouting. But as far as being a, a head coach of an NBA team, it doesn't look appealing to me because the players have more control than they probably should at times.
1: I would definitely uh, completely agree with that. It uh, even besides that, like. And now what you're saying about filling the seats, right? While PG and Kawhi, they fill those seats, Pat Bev, Blue Bill. And on paper, they're amazing. But again, that's on paper. In my opinion, even though it may take longer, and I'm sure you would agree, what fills the seats is winning. You know what I'm saying? Like, look at the Denver team with Andre Iguodala, right? I, uh, Ty, you remember that team? Ty Lawson, sure. Iggy, Corey Brewer. Mm-hmm. They were like 38-3 and at home, right? Yeah. Wilson Chandler. No, Yes, that I would, that was. That was probably my favorite player on that team. Just he was a bucket. But I say that I bring up that team because they had no true superstar, but they were winning, and winning fills the seats as much as that does. And so, if I'm Steve Ballmer or whoever made the decision to let go of Doc, I would look at and I and I evaluate. Like I gave up SGA and a lot of future draft picks for a dude that came in. And then just kind of went, boo. And I'm not trying to say if Paul George is a bad player. I think Paul George is a dope player. He, he, he killed in OKC. I think Paul George is one of the best players on the planet. But I think that when you look at it, the big picture from a personnel standpoint, I again, I don't think Doc was a problem. I think that they just needed a point guard, you know. And, and, I, and this also goes into why I hate that coaches get blamed because you look at Dwayne Casey in Toronto. When he got fired, it wasn't his fault. They played the best that they could. It's not his fault he had to play LeBron every in the conference finals. For, it was three years in a row? Yeah. Three years in a row they met LeBron in the playoffs. Watched him. Same thing with that Atlanta team that had five All-Stars. That team was really, really, really good. But what happened? They had to play Bron. And yet, Bo- and Budenholzer got let go. Then they blew up that team. And so, I guess it's, it's, nothing, it's something that doesn't really have an easy answer. You don't pay a coach as much as you pay the players, which I understand that. And I'm for all that, but it it just sucks. It really well, from, does suck.
0: From a from a, from a few standpoints, I agree. Winning does fill the seats, but winning winning ain't gonna fill the seats. How it will when, when a superstar? Just mm-hmm. like the Hawks, that Hawks team where they didn't have a superstar either, where like Florida made the All Star game, Kyle the mm-hmm. that team wasn't fill, that team wasn't filling on seats. Because they don't have a superstar. They were winning, but they don't have a they don't have a superstar. Uh, you you look at a team. Well, I'm trying to think of a team like uh, who, who uh, a superstar that was on a team that was mediocre. I don't know, but I, I, like winning. I see what you're saying, but at the same time, when you have two potential top ten players, you're going you're probably going to stick with that and and go with any. You're going, you're going to give that every chance you can to win, because even without Doc, that team could still win, because that team is that talented. So I don't, I don't think I, I agree. I wouldn't blame Doc. Uh, should I wouldn't blame Paul George. I, I would blame a lot of different opponents. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, for him to be a player that guy that people were saying was the best player in the NBA, he, he sure as hell played not to that that caliber in Game Seven or in Game. Two. Mm-hmm when he went four for 17 with 13 points. So it's a lot of different things. I, I was also a big, big opponent when the bubble started on my podcast. I, I said to my guy, I said, for some reason, when I watch the Clippers, it seems like something is missing. And then I said, you know what, what, what's missing is, is guard play. They don't have a head strong, steady point guard. Who's going to get things organized when they do get scrambled. They don't need an all-star point guard or anything like that, but just somebody who's a strong head veteran, who can get guys in places and and, and say, hey, Paul George and got a shot in the last five trips. So the next time we come down here, I'm running a play for PG to get him involved because I need him to make a shot so he can turn it up on the defensive end. And they didn't have that. And it was the first year. Rarely the first year do things pop off. I know Golden State did theirs, but they had a 73-win team and added the greatest score of all time. That was that of course that worked. But very right. rarely do you assemble these star-studded teams and they work. You have to have that first year to blueprint what we're missing and what we need, and you go back to the drawing table and you fill those holes because there's not many holes with equipment. The there's not. So the next coach that comes there is going to have a, a hell of a ride because, you know, they already came up short, so your superstar players are hungry, and they have points to prove. Paul George knows he has to come back and, 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 and send a, a message because he's being disrespected like no other. Kawhi knows that he just put up a, a terrible game seven and then you're going to, you know, up top, you're going to fill the holes and you have a blueprint. You have something to look at to say what was missing. When you're putting a team together on paper, like you said, it don't look like anything is missing because it's on paper. But once you put it on the floor, you're able to evaluate, okay, we need a strong head a point guard, somebody who's going to be able to play off the ball with Paul George Kawhi, but somebody who can also play with the ball to settle us down in the closing minutes of the game. Boom. Okay, we're going to need size because Montrezl Harrell struggled. We may have to even consider not bringing him back. You have all of these things that you can now evaluate to get better, versus when you first assemble the team and you 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 haven't even seen them play. So on paper, it just looks like y'all flawless. So I think the Clippers are still. I think they're still good. I don't think they should have panicked, but they did say that it was a mutual thing. So there's a there's a situation where maybe Doc, you know, uh, mutually they were just like it's just best that we go our separate ways. And I think that's okay, too. Now Doc is in Philly, which is a situation where I think he is needed um, because those two guys have yet to play for a coach that would hold them accountable. And I'm, I'm talking about Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Uh, we heard from, from different sources, like Jimmy Butler, that nobody was there holding them accountable. So now you got somebody, Doc Rivers, who's respected, a championship coach, and he'll, he'll keep come in and get those guys to, to be held accountable. And I think that's just a good situation for him as well. He's 13 consecutive years when he's made the playoffs. And it ain't going to stop with Philly. So, Doc Rivers, he, he ain't he ain't missing the Clippers at all.
1: He's also an NBA champion. A lot of people seem to forget that, that Doc Rivers is a championship coach.
0: No, yeah. Right. That's because we live in a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately society. I mean, he won a <laughs> championship almost a decade or more ago. So, I mean, I feel him. He definitely, you know, it's only so long you can hold on to that championship ring. Because uh, since then, he has blown two 3-1 three, three, leads, which I don't think is all his fault because the first 3-1 lead with the Clippers, uh, Chris Paul got hurt. You know, that team was always banged up, so I don't really fault him for the Lob City Clippers. Blake Griffin and Chris Paul could never stay on the floor at the same time, especially during the playoffs. And then this team, it was a brand new team, uh, you know, first year, and they, they, they shit the bed, and it, it happens. But he, he left, and he went to a situation where I think he could strive into which I think is, but now if he, if he was jobless and couldn't get a job, I would be, I would be upset, but he was able
1: to bounce back. Mm, yeah, that, that would be crazy now. And this goes to something else I want to talk about. If, if he was jobless right now, I know Steve Nash got hired before Doc got let go. Mm-hmm. Stephen a, Steven A. Smith said what he said about racism. He wasn't coming at Steve Nash, but racism among the coaching ranks in the NBA how there's a lot of unemployed black coaches, but Steve Nash just gets hired off whip and he's a white guy, which to a certain extent, I agree with Stephen A because Mark Jackson still doesn't have a job. Um, Sam Cassell doesn't have a job, you know, people with coaching experience. But at the same time, I feel like had that happened and had, um, had Steve got a job before doc, I would definitely want to cater for what Stephen A said more because that just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, the reason
0: the reason I don't agree with Stephen A. Smith and that and that specific thing is because Stephen Ash is different I think he has more of a I think that that statement is more suited for uh a Luke Walton uh, Dave Yeager's uh you know Golden like these guys that are just just constantly getting jobs right mm-hmm. uh Mark Jackson, first and foremost, definitely deserves a job. But at the same time, I'm not sure if Mark Jackson wants another job. And also a thing about Mark Jackson Good is point. he has he has to go and make sure that whenever it is he wants to work, he has to make sure he's going to a situation where he's going to be able to thrive. Because what they like to do, and this is something that, that goes on in coaching in all, in all sports, there's definitely have been white privilege in coaching. Uh, more so in the, the past years, it's getting better in all sports. We're seeing more black football coaches. Uh, we're seeing more minority managers in baseball, and now we're starting to see a lot more black coaches in the NBA, um, which is a black dominant sport. So it makes sense, you know what I mean? Just like just like hockey, it, it 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 would be weird if majority of the coaches were black in hockey when it's a white-dominated sport. So. Um, Steve Nash is a two-time MVP. Mm-hmm. Very well connected, very well respected, highly intelligent. So when he put his name in a coaching like uh search, he's gonna of course, he he has a, a certain resume that's gonna get him a job. So I don't think that's why privilege It's just that it's 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 player privilege. It's that he's a he's an Hall of Fame two time MVP who played for one of the most Historical offenses ever. The way that the NBA has played today is based off kind of how they played in '03. Suns like the seven seconds or less. You know, he's a component of that. So I think he is a cheat code to that. But I think you look at other coaches, and there's been history that says, you know, like um, trying to think of a situation like Luke Walton. Luke Walton lost that job with the Lakers and went right to the Kings. But, like, when Mark Jackson was fired, yeah, we didn't see him bounce back. And, of course, I'm not saying that it was for any reason, but it does look funny in the light sometimes. And it could be, like I said, maybe Mark Jackson doesn't want to coach right now. He's doing his thing or, you know. But I just wouldn't use that narrative with Steve Nash because he's a lot different. I would use it for somebody that hasn't proven in anything, like a Luke Walton. Um, hell, uh, there, there's... A, a bunch of coaches that has got plenty of opportunities. you're like why are they constantly and they, uh, now they're not so but like Randy I don't know if you know Randy Whitman for a long time Randy Whitman was the coach of the Wizards and they weren't really doing shit it was like tall like,
1: white guy it was a tall white guy right yeah yeah he was there before Scott Brooks yep he was uh, that was the It was the funniest thing ever the look on John Wall's face he sat down the huddle on timeout, and he didn't know what side of the clipboard to write on <laughs> that was hilarious
0: um yeah, it's just a lot. It's, it's a lot. But, I mean, I, I I agree with him in the full statement. I just don't agree with it with Steve Nash because any player with the resume and the caliber of who he is is going to get a job. Like if Steph Curry retires he and he wanted to be a coach, he's instantly probably going to get some looks because it's Steph Curry. Same thing with LeBron James. There's a lot of players who, if they when they retire, if they instantly want to become coaches, and Steve Nash didn't even instantly do it. But, like, Jason Kidd is a great example. Jason Kidd, that's a black man. As soon as he retired, he got a job because it's Jason Kidd. It's Jason Kidd. We have to start. It would be better if you are using, like I said, Luke Walton because nothing Luke Walton did ever showed that he should have gotten as many chances as he did. Sure, he did a thing with the Warriors, but that was already a team that was complete, and Steve Kerr kind of ran, and he just came in when Steve Kerr left. So, sure, the Lakers would get him, but I think that was more a relationship thing. He played Definitely theater, comes from Phil Jackson's tree of coaching. He was under Steve Nash with the Warriors. His dad is Bill Walton. You know what I mean? He had the relationship with Kobe and, and everybody. So, boom, he get the Lakers job. That didn't work out. Boom, Shaq owns the Kings, former Laker type situation. You know, so, boom, you get another chance. And it's just like shit like that is more so where it's like, why is that guy getting as many chances and not these other guys? But I'm fine with it. I think Luke Wolfe, I, I thought highly of him too. Um, but it's definitely, I, I want to see black coaches get the same thing because certain black coaches are, are go to teams and they'll have these losing records and we'll never see them again at a head coach spot. They get like one chance and then we always see them as, as uh, assistant coaches. I'm glad your name Sam Sam though because he, he's a guy that I want to see uh, get a chance to maybe uh, interview for that Clippers job. Him, Tyrone, Lu, Tyron Lou. They were already assistants of the team.
1: So might as well let them interview. Sam Cassell's been an assistant for a while. I think, wasn't he on the Clippers coaching staff when Vinny Del Negro was there?
0: Uh no, I don't I don't think. If he was, it may have been oh uh, boy.
1: Maybe like a player development role, because but he's he on that Clippers with the Bench Clippers. for a while.
0: He was with the Wizards for a long time because I went to a Wizards Bulls playoff game. And he was out there, uh, and, and we said what up to him, whatever. And that was years ago. So I'm trying to think if that he could have he could have been there the last year Vinny Del Negro was there. Um, but yeah, he's been with the Clippers for a while. But he he was also with the Wizards and uh, John Wall credited him a lot for uh, the improvement on his mid range game, his pace. You know, because John Wall came into the league knowing one speed, 100 miles per hour, and that was it. Sam Cassell came yeah. through, helped him slow up the game how to pick and choose his paces, how to use his speed to his advantage, and then worked on that jump shot to open up the rest of his game. So Sam Cassell is definitely a guy who, if not this year, in the in the near future he'll get a job. It's a lot of jobs opening up. So, you know, uh I'll definitely be expecting to see Sam Cassell getting a job soon as a head coach.
1: Yes, and and to fact check us, um Wizards assistant coach. He retired in 09 from Boston. He became a coach immediately, right in 09. Washington Wizards assistant, assistant from 09 to fourteen, and then from fourteen to present, he's been with the Clippers. Yeah. So
0: was Vinny Del Negro coaching
1: him in twenty fourteen? Um, let me see, Vinny Del Negro. Let me see. I was in high school. That's when uh, that's when Lob City was really popping. When I was, uh, I graduated high school in twenty fourteen. So let I oh, yeah, graduated
0: second. the year before you.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, One thing I really, really do—nah, he wasn't
0: coaching them in twenty fourteen. He stopped. Nope,
1: twenty thirteen. Yep. I I I just looked it up. Um, One thing I was about to say, since we talked about years graduating, one thing I really, I really think is dope about you know at least what I see is that I see you in a place where I want to be. Not exactly what you're doing because we're two different people, but I see you doing that and we're not that far apart in age. I do not know how old you were until you told me that. But just to, I, I knew you around my age just from peeping, you know, your content and watching that. So to see someone so like that's like me, that looks like me, that's around my age, has the same interests as me in the position that you're in. And I, and I know you want to go higher, but to see that, to see where you're in with terms of the podcast, your YouTube channel, branding. You know, rich Visit, flex, haze, like I, 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 see it all, and it's really inspiring, bro. Honestly, it, it really is.
0: No, I appreciate that, and that's 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 part of you know, um, that's part of the the journey that that makes it easy to, to sacrifice things because to get to you know to get to where I'm at, and then also where I'm trying to go, and where we're all trying to go, which is you know to be you know an elite status in what we do it takes it takes hard work it takes sacrificing um it takes extra hours and things like that but you know it makes it worth it when you know you can be um inspiration for somebody else to do what they want to do and i i I don't believe in um i don't believe in measuring success on where you are i think success is where you want to be and i i don't know if that makes sense but like Having one point five million followers doesn't for me, it wouldn't make me feel successful. I just wanna do what I do and do it well and, and and grow you know, and just just grow whether it's brick by brick or whatever. But just to be able to do what you love to do at a high level is more valuable than any number can put on it. So if I if I'm never at one point five million followers, I'm never gonna be like I failed. You know what I mean? I just think that that's the the, the honest, you know, um, gain from it is to do exactly what you love to do, make a living out of it, and then inspire others to go do what they want to do. Because we all won't be rich, we all won't be famous, but we all should be able to be happy. And I think that's where happiness comes from, just waking up, doing it. Whatever it is that you want to do, be, and then being able to help others, um, following their path, and because, like you said, we're all different people, so you don't want to do exactly what I'm doing, but it's the same type of stuff. And and you know that's important is for people to find out who they are, and then chase it, chase whatever it is they're trying to do, so they can capture their happiness. Because we we all should be able to to have happiness. You know, I, I understand we all won't be rich, famous, or we all won't have Lamborghinis, but we all should at least you know be able to be happy and have some peace. So. I love hearing you say that. I get a lot of DMs saying that, and that's exactly, you know, why I do it. I do it because, of course, I love it, and I want to be successful, and I want to make things happen for myself and my family. And then, but beyond that, I want to be able to help people that I don't know, and I want to be able to inspire others, take it to another level, um, and and that's part of the reason why I respond to so many people, like you mentioned before we started recording, that I respond and I'm interacting that's because that's that's what you're supposed to do you know it, it, it reminds people that damn this dude is How's the highlights and bleacher report it makes you it makes me look so far away but by one tweet it brings me that much closer to you so you can understand that i'm right here just like you so now they don't you know like growing up Stephen a smith all these guys on espn they look so far away but one, t- they're one tweet away from being right there with you which makes it seem so possible it makes everything seem possible when you, when, when you can put yourself close to somebody and thank God Twitter has some type of positive uh, <laughs> outcome. Yeah. It could, it can that shit can be, be terrible at times. Yeah. yeah. That's what it's about, man.
1: And honestly, that's how I felt. Like,